Hello everyone, welcome to episode 27 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host Andy Corrigan. With me as always is Jeannie Wu and Andrew Brown. Uh, how have you been this week guys? Not bad. Uh, I played some Lost Fear for a change. <laughs> <laughs> and how have you got on with that so far? Um, currently I just got my butt kicked by Zemrod, so how far away am I from the end? Have you had credits yet? No. Okay. Then you'll get credits, and then you'll reload, and then you've got, like, another 30 hours. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to break it to you. Well, that's my week, then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what about you, Andrew? I've had an interesting week. I've been playing more Attack on Titan 2, and a member of our community has been playing Xenoblade Chronicles. And... There must be something seriously wrong. They must need to get those upcoming Switch games released because I'm actually thinking about going back to Xenoblade Chronicles <laughs> even though I hated it. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I think we must be experiencing a release drought and I just hadn't noticed it because, oh boy, I'm ready for those May releases to be here. Uh, there's still games coming. I'm just trying to ignore them. So is my wallet. Um, so I uh, I actually beat Kirby in the last week as I expected. So uh, it's pretty short overall, but uh, I really liked it. I thought it was a a solid B-tier Nintendo game. Mm. Uh, pretty pleasant, but it's it's never anything more than that. So partly probably down because it's it's a kids game, but yeah, really enjoyed it. It was my first experience of Kirby, and you know I would probably look to previous titles to. To see what I've missed, or at least play the the next ones. Um, I also finally caught up on one of the games I've been promising to play for the past couple of weeks, which was A Normal Lost Phone. Um, I think this came out at the same time as uh, Subsurface Circular. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically like it's a really interesting concept. So you you play someone who has found a phone, and then you sort of poke through and see what you can find to try and find out who the owner is. Um, there's puzzles uh, relating to the phone's capabilities, like connecting to Wi-Fi and getting to apps and, and things like that. Uh, I was nearly undone by the US date format a couple of times, which is kind of annoying. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's basically the premise. I can't go into the story at all because to do that would spoil everything that makes the game unique. Um, but I predict it will rub terrible people up the wrong way. And that's all I'm willing to say on that one. I see. Are you talking to me? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, the the wider gaming community. However, mm. uh, I really enjoyed it and it's pretty cheap. So, yeah, if you're up for nosing through someone's phone and finding about, out about their private life, then, yeah, give that a look. So just out of interest, Andrew, how are you uh, getting on with Attack on Titan 2 still? I'm still enjoying it. I really like the scouting missions that you go on, which is basically the game's multiplayer component, but you can also play it solo. But the story mode, I am completely losing interest in because it's just, it's ridiculous and it's not very well told. And uh, if you don't know anything about Attack on Titan, as I didn't going into it, it's about the last of humanity which is on that's described as being on the brink of extinction but if you look around it looks like they're doing okay for themselves but they are being 
hunted down by this army of titans, which are like giants, basically, who eat people whole. And I was all for that. I thought that sounded great. But almost as soon as the story begins, it gets derailed by this whole plot with these two characters who have superpowers, and one of them is evil for no explained reason, and... It just gets distracted by this whole thing that just has nothing to do with surviving in this world full of these man-eating titans. I've just, I've been really disappointed with it, but uh, I haven't finished it yet. Maybe it'll turn around in this last chapter I still have to do, but I'm not holding my breath. Uh, So let's take a look at the latest Switch news. So there are more and more reports nowadays of uh, third-party docks bricking Switch consoles. Uh, now, this wasn't the first I heard of this. Uh, a couple of months ago, Brian Altano of IGN uh, had to send his off for repair after his uh, third-party dock actually broke his port, the USB-C port. Uh, he sent it off for repair, and when he got it back, the whole thing was wiped, so he oh. lost all his progress. Uh, and this is happening more and more. Um, yeah, I just would never use anything but a Nintendo dock on my Mm -hmm. Switch, I don't think. Yeah, I think it's kind of like Apple accessories, though. Like, I think people feel like the price point for Nintendo stuff is way too high, which is why they go to purchase some of these other ones. I mean, if... I think the most recent article about it was about the Nyko kit, which is much cheaper than Nintendo's official $120 dock. So I guess if you're someone that's kind of, I guess, trying to pinch some pennies here with the accessories, I can see why you use a third-party dock, but I don't know if it's really worth it now um, because it seems like every third-party product for the Switch has some kind of issue with it. Yeah, but it's like, you know, it comes with a dock. If you're playing it away from your house, you play it handheld. Mm-hmm. It seems seems pretty simple to me, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things I just wouldn't trust anything that's not official at this mm. point. Yeah, there's really two issues here. There's really no reason that the Switch at this point doesn't have some kind of cloud support or some kind of way you can back up your save or even that Nintendo would have that capability when you send your system in to be serviced, which is inevitably going to happen. For years, I didn't have to deal with that. But when the 3DS came out, I've had to send in every iteration of my 3DS that I've had for for some kind of repair. So Nintendo understandably as technology has become more sophisticated has had to do more custom repairs for people but they should have some kind of system in place that we don't lose all of our data when that necessity happens as towards the third party hardware uh you know hate to say i told you so all right but (laughs) come on uh I said this from the start, said this from day one, I'm not plugging my thir- my Switch into anything third-party. Uh, if Nintendo didn't make it or Nintendo didn't license it, I'm not using it because this is precisely the kind of thing that I knew would happen. So I understand that some people are trying to be thrifty or I even imagine some parents who got Switches for their kids for Christmas and thought, well... We've already bought this $300 thing. We got to save some money with the accessories. We'll get them the cheaper accessories unknowingly walking into a situation where they're going to break their $300 thing. That's a bad situation for them all around. But it's just you shouldn't trust third-party technology 
with your primary technology. I don't care if it's a switch. I don't care if it's a laptop. I don't care if it's an Apple computer. You, you should only use things that are made by the same manufacturer, and this is a pretty clear-cut reason of why. Next up, we have the news that the Switch has now sold 4 million units in Japan alone since launch. Its dominance continues. Sounds promising. I don't know much about the Japan sales market. I guess that's a lot. But, you know, uh, that's news, so that's good. (laughs) Well, um, 4 million is apparently on par with the performance of the PlayStation 4 console when it first sold out in Japan and the 3DS, Mm. as well as the original Wii. So I think it's pretty heartening that they're meeting the same regional numbers, even though they had that delay at launch um, in Japan. So yeah, I think it's good that, good that they're good that they are catching up, um, even though the Japanese e-store has some um, some games of a perhaps slightly lesser quality, um, <laughs> <laughs> some regional games that are not going to quite hit the Western market just quite yet. But it's good that people are kind of I think moving past the Vita, which was for a long time I think one of Japan's premier handheld consoles and towards the switch i know that the vita is on its way out but people are still desperately <laughs> clinging to it <laughs> as, a, as a resident of the united states i have to say the vita was never on its way in so <laughs> <laughs> i love well, my vita yeah i, I thought I it was great um and it, it it enabled me to play persona for dancing um which is a game that hopefully will come to switch as well seeing as how it's being released on the ps4 um, for Persona 5 and stuff like that. But I digress. Either way, I think 4 million is a great number for a country that has held on to the to the, um, to the the Vita and it's dying in its death throes, basically. So <laughs> hopefully that score will only improve as they finally leave the Vita behind. Do you think the Switch is going to get all the visual novels now? Oh, yeah. I think we've got a couple already, like um, The Men of Yoshiwara, I think. Mm. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Hakuoki series came over. They just released the second, um, the second game of the series on PS4, and it sold pretty well in the West. Both iterations of it. So I think we're looking at sort of more romance VNs coming over. And I mean, Galgan came over. So why not more visual novels? Uh, so with that, let's take a look at this week's releases. Okay, so first up on the list we have. Atelier, Liddy and Suel, The Alchemista and the Mysterious Paintings. Now, as soon as I saw this on the list, I had to wonder which one of our other panellists might have added this to the list. I confess! Uh, <laughs> and uh, blow me down if it wasn't Ginny. Yeah! So, Koei big fan of this? Yeah, well, I, I play pretty much every Koei Tecmo that I can get my hands on. Um, not only because it's got cute girls and cute costumes, but that is one of the major selling points of the Atelier series. I think they're up to like nine games, not counting Vita ports right now or some obscene number like that. Um, but there are a lot of Atelier games and basically the gist of any Atelier game is you solve some everyday problems for some magical girls. That's really it. It's got a really, really carefree story. Um, in this one, you play as Liddy and Suel, and you have a very incompetent dad. Um, you basically help him run his shop. Um, you, you run his shop by day, and by night you escape into magical paintings in the basement and explore new worlds and find new ingredients to help you better run his shop during the daytime. So it's really simple. 
Um, it's it's nothing that really, I guess, suppose brings anything new to the Ichiria formula, but it's very cute, very carefree. And then if you want a JRPG that is uh, short, I've heard that it's probably only going to chop out around 30 hours. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> That's a short JRPG. It's not a it short game. It is a short JRPG. It's a short JRPG with a lighthearted story, um, which will have some twists and turns and predictable antagonists, but it won't really be anything mind-numbingly intelligent. Um, it's just another great Atelier game. Um, I think people that are a bit younger will love this. People that want a bit of a break from something serious like Lost Sphere or something sad like I Am Setsuna or something that's got a plot line which is almost incomprehensible like Xenoblade Chronicles 2, then I think Atelier probably is a good cure to all of those while still giving you, giving you the JRPG fix that you need. Um, I mean, most of the game is about crafting, like crafting potions, crafting paintbrushes, crafting ways to help people in your small town. So it is kind of a very low pressure game. If you're getting tired of bigger JRPGs that have different source material, then I highly recommend it. Um, I don't really care about FPS, but the main character models look a bit muddy in handheld mode. Um, so just when you're in the world doing stuff, there's a very discernible difference whereby the models look a bit blurry. Uh, but that probably isn't, a, isn't an issue when you dock the Switch. I don't play docked at all, basically only handheld. So if anyone else there is playing this, <laughs> tell me if it looks better when it's docked. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you guys, either of you guys ever play Koi Tecmo games or Atelier games? Care about them at all? No, I keep having a, an occasional glance when they would appear on uh, the Vita. Uh, so is this, are they all standalone games? There's no Yeah, yeah, there's, there? there's no need um, to play the rest to understand the story. Um, in this one in particular, though, there are alchemists from other games that come in, but there's, there's literally no need to play any other Chile game ever. They don't at all sort of mesh together in the plot. And is it um, is this a port or is this an entirely new game for Switch? This is an entirely new game. Um, it wasn't not a Switch exclusive, but it just it also just recently released for PlayStation and for Windows. Ah, okay. I, I just I looked at it and I thought it was like a 3DS port or something, but yeah, cool. I, I might take a look, but there's a couple of other higher profile JRPGs I'm looking forward to coming yeah. up in the next few months. Fair enough. So, Warp Shift, you've been playing this one, Andrew? Yes, this is a puzzle game. I guess it was released on various mobile platforms first, but it actually has a lot of production values put into it. I was really impressed with it as far as the way it looks and its uh, soundtrack. You play as this girl who finds this cube with a face on it, and she gets warped away to this tower, and you have to climb up to the top of the tower by sliding different rooms around in a grid that she can occupy and move between them. And the higher you get up in the tower, it adds more mechanics to the rooms. Like uh, midway up, it'll add a button that will open up all the red doors on the map or another button that'll activate teleportals in there. And it just goes higher and higher and higher, and it gets pretty hard because your progression is based on the amount of stars that you earn on each map and to get the maximum three stars on each map you have to find the most efficient way to get through that floor uh but it's not 
too taxing because even though the puzzles are very hard, it actually will tell you what the solution is to the three-star rating if you just keep picking at it long enough it eventually it'll just give you this little light bulb and says this is how you do it since you've been working on this so hard for so long which i kind of appreciate normally uh i ran into that with thimbleweed park where i was really disappointed that i really couldn't progress without using the hint system that was in the game Uh, i didn't have that experience with this one i'm actually glad that i'm able to work my way through the puzzles at my own pace and then use the hint system to get the best solution to the maps because I really don't think I would be able to figure them out by myself, not within a a reasonable amount of time anyway. I think I would be quite sick of the game before I found every solution by myself. So I really appreciate the systems that were put into this. It's a really smart puzzle game, and it looks really good. It's really well animated. It's got a great soundtrack. It's a really excellent puzzle game considering its origins and how much it costs yeah that sounds really interesting i might give that a look uh and you've also been playing devious dungeon i i could tell this was going to be one for you just by the name alone and i had assumed that it was going to be a roguelite but it's not is it 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 pretends to be a roguelite devious dungeon is a side-scrolling platform game uh where you play as this big muscle-bound guy who's descending into the depths of this dungeon to kill a dragon at the very bottom level. And it looks like a roguelike because the maps, when you first play them, appear to be randomly generated. And when you die on a map and you go back up to the top floor of the dungeon and you get back down there, it might be a different map. But near as I can tell, the maps are actually all pre-made, but it's what map you get on each floor is actually selected from a predetermined pool of maps. So you do get situations where you have to make a very specific set of movements to get through an area because the area is crafted. It's designed by hand to be actually navigated through, whereas if it was proc gen, it would just throw some random things together and you really wouldn't have to put too much thought into navigating it, which is the problem with procedural generation uh, roguelites as far as I'm concerned but it still plays like a roguelite because if you die you go back to the top level of the dungeon and you have to make your way down again but you keep all of your experience levels and you keep all of the treasure that you got so you can actually upgrade your character and maybe make a little more progress next time now that you understand the enemies better and you have better equipment. It's not a particularly long game. I beat the whole thing last night just Oh, wow. Yeah, just because I was determined to do it. Uh, (laughs) I didn't unlock everything. There's quite a bit to buy, uh, and you don't obviously have to buy all of it to get all of it, but I think if you're just looking for a platformer with melee combat to just sink some time into and turn your brain off, I think this would be a good choice. It's only like 6 bucks on the eShop, so maybe like $10 Australian. It's it's a pretty good game. I was I was satisfied with it. Ready? Go! And of course, it's time for our Super Smash Brothers for Nintendo Switch predictions. Uh, so let's start with Ginny. What do you reckon's gonna happen or be in the next Smash Brothers? I think Super Mario wedding outfits. I mean, Super Mario Odyssey wedding outfits for Peach, Bowser, and Mario. <laughs> okay, that's, that's a fair show. 
I, I think they'll lean heavily onto the latest incarnations of the big franchises for this one. So, yeah, I reckon there's a, a chance of that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I hope that we see a lot more of that where we get different costumes, not just palette swaps like we've had in most of the past Smash yeah. Brothers games. But I hope, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, I hope they don't go so far into it where they kind of go the injustice route, where there's oh, actually, no. yeah, what your costume is determines what your stats are. That just that really messes with the competitive scene, and that's really where a lot of Smash Brothers longevity has come from is from its competitive scene. So I, I would just like what they did in Smash Four, where they included all those stamps and alternate abilities that you could unlock for your characters but nobody actually used them so it was just a lot of development effort put into a system that may as well have not existed so i think yeah that would be for sure a thing that'll be in there i just hope they don't go overboard on it and your prediction you know how peach has the thing where she can pull a turnip out of the ground and yes <laughs> more you do it, it can be like different sized turnips that have different variabilities to it. I think Link is going to have something similar where he can actually produce a weapon based on Breath of the Wild, and it'll be randomly determined what the weapon is, and it'll have the highly controversial uh, weapon durability mechanic attached to it from Breath of the Wild. That's my prediction. I like that. That'd be cool. Especially if you could use it for like a last minute throw for a big attack or something. <laughs> um, my prediction is a really boring one, but it's going to be that Shovel Knight isn't there. I think we'll see some Nindy representation mm -hmm. in Smash Brothers this time, and I reckon he would be the best starting point for that. Yeah, seems fair. And he's already got an amiibo. So. <laughs> I think a Shovel Knight edition would, be, would make sense because they've got that three-pack of the villain knights coming out with amiibo and there's really no clear reason why that's coming out uh, mm. so i would see some smash brothers uh functionality tied in with those would make a lot of sense so folks uh what are you two playing in the coming week um i'll probably be picking up penny punching princess that's the nisa game um, which is coming out recently. I think it's like a top-down brawler. Um, so it looks quite cute and fun. I'll, I'll probably pick that one up. And I'll put some more time into Atelier, Lydia, and Suelle to see if I can finish it off. Um, and then I guess I'm going to push through the credits of Lost Sphere <laughs> and then push through the other ending of Lost Sphere and see how we go uh, with that. I feel so bad for you. I kind of wish I just thought that was the real ending and gave up. Because oh, <laughs> then I would have I would have been so much more positive about the game, even oh, though the ending dear. was really unsatisfying. Mm. Uh, yeah. uh, Andrew? I'll also be playing Penny Punching Princess. I've got a copy of it. It's supposed to be arriving on Thursday. Hopefully that will actually happen. And on the eShop, I'm looking at the Adventure Pals, which I'm not too sure what kind of game it actually is, but it looks like it has really bright and well animated characters in it so it might be entertaining just to play for that uh there's a game called sumer coming out which is supposed to be a european style board game set in ancient sumeria uh yeah. urban trial playground which is a new edition in the trials series is coming out and there's a slightly bizarre looking platformer called sling ming coming out too which i couldn't even begin to describe what that game is just from the trailer 
for me, I will be continuing my reinvestment in Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I'm halfway through chapter 6 now. Uh, I have finally knocked it down to easy just to help my flow because I spent something like four hours on a boss yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> and just, yeah. And uh, I'm also going to check out some of my backlog, hopefully. So I'm thinking Subsurface Circular will be an mm-hmm. easy one to knock out in a couple mm-hmm. of hours. For sure. Uh, I have decided after that I'm going to play through Lego Marvel Super Heroes 2 as a Spider-Man fanboy. Um, and I've still got Owlboy on the backlog, so <laughs> again, this is this is probably what I'm playing in in the coming weeks, plural, not coming week, this week. But we'll we'll see how I go. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Switch Focus podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It'll really help us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Why not also check out our YouTube channel, where we regularly upload the first hour of many of the games we play. Uh, Andrew is streaming most of the games that we talk about on the show, and you can catch him at twitch.tv forward slash playcritically. You can also follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so now by buying us a coffee. The details are on our website. Thanks in advance. Uh, and if you would like to follow the three of us on Twitter, you can do. Uh, I am at Flame Roast Toast. Andrew is at Play Critically, and Ginny is at Ginny Woes. We must be experiencing a drought because I'm getting dehydrated. <laughs> Which is to uh, say... <laughs> okay, I thought that was like a metaphor for a second. And I was like, you're, you're thirsty what? For, for what? What? What, would, what are you talking about? <laughs> Let me try that again. <laughs>